We're jumping in today into part four of many parts of the book of Luke as we're walking verse by verse through Luke, and we're jumping in today to the early ministry of Jesus. So this is the, the season where he's really now, he's come, we've, we've read about his birth, we've, we've discovered about how he was baptized and what he did first right after that, the temptation and the wilderness, all these things, and then all of a sudden we land at this beautiful moment here where his ministry is going to begin. And so it all comes back home, right? That's where we're going to start in Nazareth and I love it. Let's jump in. Luke 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Right? We just sang, Spirit lead me where my faith is without borders. Right? So this is Jesus now being led by the Spirit. He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners recovery of sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Isn't that just great wording? Verse 21, and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that, he came, that had come from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet no one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. That's pretty aggressive. Verse 30, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. 
There is so much in this text to have incredible fun with today, and we're going to look at two points, but first we need to really understand the context of what in the world just happened. You have a handout there which gives you that text and a couple fill-ins that we'll do here in a second. And uh, just for fun, if any of you have smartphones and have the Bible app, the Version Bible app, I tossed all of our content in there today so we could have a little fun in a couple moments, but I don't know if, if, if it'll distract you too much to go to that on your phones. But here's what I want to dialogue about in the meantime. The context of this is Luke is writing to Theophilus, this guy who's funded the book to be written to prove for certain that Jesus was who he said he was. So he's going around and he's taking account of this book, and he gets all these stories, all this information about Jesus' life, and he, he comes back and finds himself where it all began. And this is where Luke, this is the first thing Luke records, although there's been stories and ministry that I'm sure were incredible leading up to this point. And we know that because there's phrases like this in the text, news about him had spread. Well, what news? That he was alive or? No, he'd done ministry, right? News about him had spread. They heard what he did in Capernaum. Remember, we just talked about what he did in Capernaum last week on Easter with the guy lowered through the roof. He raises him up. So this is not in chronological order here, but yet Luke wants to start with this teaching about Jesus' mission. Find it very interesting. When he showed up, he was praised when he showed up. I mean, Nazareth is not a big place, right? So, like, he's a superstar coming in. They're like, Jesus is going to teach at the synagogue. We know he's going to because he goes there every Sunday to read the Scriptures, as was his custom, right? The eyes were fastened on him, awaiting his talk. I mean, it's just like every Sunday here, right? I'm just totally joking. Uh, and what does he say? He gets up there, right? He, he, he takes this scroll and he reads Isaiah. And we'll talk more about the context of that in just a second. But he's like, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They're like, is there more to this? Right? You know what I'm saying? It's like, isn't this like supposed to be like the Sermon on the Mount? This is going to be a long teaching. We have to take notes, you know, with our chisels. I don't know. You know, you're kind of looking, how does this work? And, and, and what is up with Jesus shocking us? You know, people had to, they started to talk, right? They were murmuring. They were talking amongst themselves, some amazed and some going, isn't this guy, you know? So they're trying to figure this deal out. And, you know, Jesus, it's just like last week we talked about, you know, instead of just healing the guy and giving him the Jesus show, he's like, your sins are forgiven and made everybody go, really? Like, that's where he starts? You know, so it's another one of these moments. Maybe it's the way Luke writes it, but it's very intriguing. When it says, he began, you know, I mean, Luke's recording Jesus' ministry, and he starts with these words, he began, and this is where he begins. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I really want to try this some Sunday. Maybe I'm just not as courageous, right, to where I just come out here. I read Luke 4. We go through the passages. You know, we're going verse for verse for Luke. And I come up here, I read verse 4 through, you know, 14 through 30. And I'm just like, you know, when we're done, you know, he rolled out a scroll. We have it in writing. I'm like, I read it. And I go, 
Yeah, what that said. <laughs> right? I mean, that's basically what he just did. So that's why people were going, wait, Jesus comes to town. We're going to get a show. This is incredible. And he just gets up and goes, true that. I just find that so funny. I don't know why I was cracking up when I was, and, and you know, yet they still call it gracious words. At that moment in his talk, they're like, oh, yeah, whoo, that's good, right? So they're real big fans because he really didn't say much. <laughs> so I just find it funny that, like, the speaker comes and there's like, and he's like, great crowd, man. All I said was true that, you know, and they're like, yes, preacher, preach it, you know, and he's just going, this is a responsive group. Anyway, what else do we know about this context? This small town of, of, of Nazareth, this is very interesting as you, you begin to dig through like different historical writings and documents found uh, that deal with the season in history. You can find some good stuff if you really study behind the text, right? So more stuff behind the text in a synagogue at this time, like they would have maybe two copies of a book like Isaiah. And it would be a scroll on very rough, dusty, like paper, papyrus, that it would be written on and rolled up. So like Isaiah, like if they're going to read from Isaiah, if they hand him these scrolls, it's these big scrolls, and he would be going, right, to read it. He's like, right, he's rolling it out. I don't know how they did it in their context. That'd be a big pulpit, right? And they just spread it out, and he's like, um... Uh, and he gets to it, and he reads it. You know why it would take long, too? It's interesting to me because back in this time, it wasn't until the 1200s that they added chapters to the Bible. It wasn't until the 1500s that they put verse numbers. You and I have it easy. We can like, you know, somebody could say in Luke 4, and you're like, nobody's looking. Let's see, what is it? Luke, Matthew, Mark, 902. <laughs> right? We can do that if we have a Bible, and then we could get there, and we're Luke 1, 2, 3, verse 14, 1, 2, 3. Right? We have a cheat sheet. That's why they put those in there. But, like, they're rolling out this deal for Jesus. It was, it was large. I mean, think Santa's list. That's what he's dealing with, to read this. And yet, he was familiar with it, right? I love the physical Bible, and I don't know. I, I do a lot of reading now on version. Some of you are my friends now because they, like, went social with this Bible app, right? And so uh, I, I love to read a, a, a something. There's a million reading plans, so I'm on some sort of reading plan in there at all times and, and going through another book devotional-type reading plan right now by Brian Houston on there. And, and I'll underline a scripture, and everybody that's my friend will see what I underlined. I feel like Russell Wilson at the moment because he tweets a verse a day, right? So I'm just like, yes, I'm famous. But anyway, you know, you're doing that. You have a few friends, and you're throwing it out there. Was that not the person I should have used as an example? Anyway, so we're going on, and there was this hush amongst the crowd. And the, Isn't he the… Okay, anyway. Uh, so we're right at this moment where we find ourselves, you know, reading Scripture. Now we could just look it right up on our phone. It's easy. Luke 4. 14, and it just goes right there, and we read it. So what a day we live in, right? But not back here. Jesus had to unroll this thing, 
and yet he finds it. And the reason he could find it, it said it was his custom, right? It was his custom to read in the Bible. And when I had a physical Bible I studied, I would kind of do it. I would kind of, you know, I could go, ah, somebody would ask for a need or something. They'd share something. I'd go, I read something about that. And I wouldn't remember what verse number it was. I would remember where on the page it was. You ever do that? Like I underlined it, it was on the top right, top right of the New Testament. So you're like, oh yes, it says, right? So that's what, but now I can just search the Word. I think it said this, you know, and then it'll pull up the Scripture. But Jesus was familiar with the text. It was because He was taught the same as everyone else. He was taught Psalm 1, 1 through 3 which says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Right? Speaking of the Word of God, his delight is in the Word of God, and on the Word of God he meditates day and night. So Jesus had spent a lot of time in this book of Isaiah says in verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Why? Time spent in the Word of God. Context. So that's what we're dealing with when this story unfolds. So what's the first discovery that we see in the text? I would say fulfillment. Fulfillment. So if you're a blank filler inner right on point one, fulfillment. Because he said today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Scripture that was written at this point in time. It was spoke of Him. It looked towards Him. He was the coming Messiah that was prophesied throughout the book of Isaiah. This is Him. It really is fulfilled in their hearing. Jesus is here, and He's saying that. I am here. Right? It's like Horton hears a who. I am here, I am here, I am here, right? This is Jesus, and He's here. And they're just not getting it. He's like, hello, it's really fulfilled. This is deeper than you think. So these are gracious words. It's interesting to me. We should still value this spiritual discipline that Jesus had of spending time in the Word so that we could say, see, that Word means this to those who are questioning the Word of God. Which brings up the subpoint under point one here. Practice meets power. That's what we're reading about here. We're reading about practice meeting power. So Jesus had obviously spent time here, and that's how he was able to quote and say, you know, this was his custom, as Luke indicated. I mean, he spent time in the synagogue, and he spent time in the Word. And I know I challenge us often to do three things, really. You know, it's not forsake the gathering together. We need to come together both in the crowd and in groups to dialogue about our faith. We need to read the Bible regularly, and we need to pray regularly. With that firm foundation in our faith, it'll be very sturdy. But yet, you know, I, I call it a spiritual discipline, or in this case, a regular practice, if you will, right? Practice meets power for optimal spiritual health. I mean, Jesus knew where this was in the text. He was able to just go right there. And so, I, I did this little thing. I don't know if you guys have 
smartphones or dumb phones. It's okay if you have a dumb phone. Don't feel bad. But uh, you can go to this. There's this little thing on the left-hand side. I was messing around while I was reading in the Bible. And, uh, and so there's this little thing called Live on the left-hand side of your Bible app, of version Bible app. And if you click Live, you'll see that, like, the, the first service right there, if you've enabled your, like, GPS to track you all the times of your life. And it says, you, you can click it, it's Open Life Service. And it gives you, like, the Scripture and stuff. But here's the cool thing with an app like this. You can do, like, polls. So I threw one in there just for fun today. You can go look at it today or tomorrow, or it'll be up all week. But if, if you go in there and check it out, so you can look it up on your computer if you want to do. Uh, I asked a question. I called it a practice poll, right? A spiritual practice poll, because I'm curious. How often do you read the Bible? Daily? A few times a week? When I'm hurting? Not very frequently? Only here at church. Interesting, right? Well, the cool thing is, is you can hit the little button saying see results, and it'll live time give us results. And so in future weeks, we might use that and uh, throw results up on the screen if we can figure out how to get around the security on the Wi-Fi connection here. Any of you talented at hacking? Okay, anyway, so uh, that's kind of a fun little uh, deal. But I'm curious because I think if we discover this regular practice of daily opening up, maybe it's just the Scripture of the day that a Bible app like this will force feed you. But we need to be exposing ourselves to Scripture because Jesus had practiced this reading, and He's exemplifying this right at the beginning of His ministry. He's saying Jesus was used to unrolling this scroll, this prophetic book that talked about Himself. And it was the Spirit that led Him. I don't know if He said, give me the book of Isaiah. It says they handed Him the book of Isaiah. You know, maybe it was, that would be intense if I showed up some Sunday and you're like, break from John 7. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, that's when I would go, true dad, right? And just walk off the platform. But it's like, you know, you go, there was no, no prep. He just like grabbed this book and he went way deep. And he finds this prophecy about himself and reads it. And it would be said that he was led by the Spirit to do that. The Spirit of God knew what the people in the room needed to hear. Knew their hearts and thoughts and minds. And gave Jesus the unction to go to that moment, which defines his mission, as we'll talk about in a second. So a commentary called the New American Commentary that I was reading says it this way. We've noted already the frequency and thus the importance of this expression in Luke and Acts. Because... Luke wrote both books, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' victory over the devil thus resulted not simply because of his knowledge and use of the Scripture, as in Matthew, but also because he was full of the Spirit. Thus, unlike Israel, which failed in its wilderness experience, God's Son is victorious. The Spirit's importance in this is evident, and Jesus' experience became a model of how Theophilus, again, the guy who funded the writing of this book, was to live his life. This is Luke communicating to him and all who were not in the chosen lineage of the Jews. 
Even as Jesus, full of the Spirit, was victorious over the devil, so in Acts, Peter, Stephen, Barnabas, Paul were also filled with the Spirit and followed in the Lord's footsteps. Luke's readers are exhorted by their example to be filled with the Spirit as well. The concluding summary again emphasizes that Jesus' entire future ministry is to be understood as taking place in the power of the Spirit. When we put our faith in God, we're filled with the Spirit. We're given the strength of the Holy Spirit as a guide and comforter, and we have this opportunity to be pursuing God in this power of the Spirit. It's not our own strength. It's not us alone. So what is it that had the crowds in awe? Right? It's not like it's the biggest, like, what were they in awe about? What had them on the edge of their seat calling this simple reading gracious words? Number two, fill in there, missional clarity. Missional clarity. Missional is a buzzword in church world right now, like pastor world that I hang out in, listening to podcasts and different things. It's like, are you missional? You know, it's one of those deals. And, uh, and so, Luke was making the mission of Jesus very clear right up front to his target audience of those who were not in the chosen line of Israel. I mean, that's exactly what his intent was to do here, is to say, this is Jesus' mission, and we're included. You're included. Everyone who hears this is included. And and Jesus was definitely identifying. They saw Him as reading this text that He found deep in the book of Isaiah. And then it says, before He said, this is fulfilled in your hearing, He rolled it up. Did you catch that? He's like, and He rolled up the scroll. So it's like, again, you know, oh, it's like, you know, bad Christmas lights or whatever. It gets caught. You can't rip the paper. If you only have two copies of this for everybody to read from, they have to come to church to read the Bible at this time. There's two precious, precious copies in Nazareth. You're going to take very good care of rolling that thing back up. They have a lot of time to think while he's doing this. You just got to put it into context. So here's Jesus, and maybe they should have heard it like this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me. I mean, this is Jesus speaking, right? I doubt He read it like this. To preach good news to the poor. He has sent me, right? It's like, listen, people. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what I'm here to do, Jesus is saying. This is my mission on earth. Jesus is identifying himself, anointed, filled with the Spirit, sent. And he clarifies what he is present to do exactly. Interesting enough, he has yet to identify any disciples. I mean, we've yet to be introduced to the first who will follow him, but I assume they're in the crowd, listening, buying in, if you will, right? They're going, wow, this is interesting. Why would he choose that text out of Isaiah? Why does he say it's fulfilled? This may be the Messiah, right? They have to be processing in their minds. There's no disciples selected yet. Jesus is all alone here, teaching, 
kind of the opposite of what we're encouraging you to do, to sign up for groups, right? This is a great illustration. As he's about to almost get thrown off a cliff, it's better to do life together. <laughs> I just, you got to do life with each other. And so you have others around you to help in that room. Man, maybe they could have got him out before they got to the cliff. But anyway, people are listening and, and learning and observing, and some of which I'm sure were disciples who were selected because it's, it's in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Maybe it was one of them that recounted the story or, you know, maybe not one of the 12, but maybe one of the 72 that are later sent out to do ministry. But somebody's telling Luke this so that he can write this book. And it's a defining moment, and that's why Luke starts with this, where Jesus is clarifying the values and culture of God's followers in the age of grace and the Scripture's fulfillment. He's saying, this is, what it, this is what church should look like, those who bring good news to the poor. This is what church should look like, those who proclaim freedom to the imprisoned. This is what the body of Christ looks like, those who declare recovery to the blind, to the sick. This is what it looks like, those who release the oppressed, not who point out their oppression. Proclaim favor. That is good news. That people are going to be united around that mission. That's great news. Those are very gracious words. But even at this time, the religious struggled with being that gracious. The motives in the hearts of the religious in the room are immediately exposed as well by the Holy Spirit. And I'm astonished and saddened that it still occurs today. In fact, it's what the world would pretty much think the church is all about, the religious. What happens from everyone praised Him and spoke well of Him and was in awe of His words to all the people in the synagogue were furious? Like that's, right? Crazy switch of mindset. They go from fascination to fury. And it was that first question isn't this the carpenter's kid? The Scriptures are fulfilled, but isn't this? And I find it so interesting that we land on this passage a week after Easter because many people make a decision to follow Jesus on Easter, right? And they're like, I'm going to recommit my life to the Lord. But those around them, when they say, I went to church, man, it was incredible. I shed a tear, have to admit it, right? And they're like, this guy up there was sappy and like, you know, it was weird. But anyway, you know, so he shared this talk and I was like, mm, it just hit. And they're like, boy, don't you know what you did last night? You can't go to church, right? You know, it's that moment right there. It's like, aren't you the same one that like I party with last week? You know, and they're like, you can't meet with God. Who do you think you is, right? And they just kind of, it's that moment. Where do we live that people talk like that, right? <laughs> Where do you think you'd be? You and Bonnie Lexon, come on. No, we're not, we don't live there, but that'd be cool if we all talk like that. We could start a trend. Anyway, you know, we're so quick to trust the proof of the past 
over the truth of the future. And we're seeing that come to life here, trusting the, the proof of the past over the truth of the future. Why do we lack faith for the potential of all humanity and the future of someone who has encountered the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit? My first day in church, I remember coming in. There's hundreds of people. It's a two-story church, this balcony. There's like people wrapped around in a balcony and on the floor in this church with red carpet. And I'm just going, the carpet stood out. So I was like, you know, so I had red pews, red carpet, red rose. They stick on you if you're new, so everybody knows you're new and can come up to you. Hi. You know, so it's like, anyway. So, uh, but I came in and I was listening to the message and, and I'm going, I remember during the song service, because he's tall. Jason stands up in the front. I'm going, you know, it's there like stand up. He was one of the first ones, and he's up there, got his praise thing on, whatever he was doing. I was just going, because I'm first day, right? And I'm going, Jason? Man, that boy just bought me the hard alcohol for my party like two weeks ago. And he's got his hands raised in church. What a hypocrite. I was in church. Right? I'm a hypocrite too. So I was like, oh my word. But I was totally judging him. I was like, isn't this the boy who bought me hard alcohol another day at a party? I just threw a big party. I don't even remember the party, right? So I was like, I was sitting there going, hmm. It was really confusing for me. And then I discovered over the course of time, guess what? Jason had the same occurrence in his life that I had in mine. Like days before my first visit, he hit his rock bottom and showed up at church. And I hit my rock bottom and showed up in church. And us on common moments in our journey were judging each other. We just finally came to the table. I'm like, dude, so talk to me. About how are you in church, man? What's up with that? And he's the same with me. Yeah, what, what are you doing here? You know, it was kind of that moment. And we, were, we just laid it out on the table. He ended up being at my wedding. You know, we ended up serving together forever because we were just in that common moment on the journey. I was not quick to extend grace to Jason. Now he's a worship pastor over in Gig Harbor. Why do we do this? Why is it that when I'm at a Chamber of Commerce meeting, I get a big response when they say, give your 30-second spiel, you know, to to tell you what you're about. So I'm like, well, you know, my name is Thad. I'll usually mix it up to get their attention. I'll go, my name is Thaddeus Edgar Huff. No, I'll go, ha, 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 right? I'll say, I'm the lead pastor of Open Life. And uh, man, a good referral for us, somebody you could invite to Open Life is somebody who doesn't go to church because they're not a Christian or they know one. And they all go, oh, ha, ha, you know, they kind of chuckle a little bit. But I remember the day that a, a gal approached me afterwards and she had kind of water in her, tears in her eyes. She's like, that's me. I was like, well, what, what's you? I'm the person who doesn't go to church because I know Christians. She's like, well, talk to me about that. She says, well, it just messes me up because I hate this part of, of the story of the church. <laughs> and she said, I went to church a couple weeks ago, and I got multiple calls that week from people I knew at that church telling me to stay away because I was going to ruin the purity of their church. So is it true that, like, I can not even 
receive grace from God because of who I was? We went to coffee and I, passage after passage, just tried to affirm her and say, here's the deal. God loves you and you belong. And this is wrong, what happened to you. And they were wrong in their actions. And, and Jesus does something here that should just wake all of us up. In the midst of that same moment where they came against Him, where they were like, dude, no, you can't say these things in here. You can't be this guy in here. You're the carpenter's son. And, and you're saying, oh, in your hometown you can't do ministry. You just ticked us off, and we're going to throw you off a cliff, boy. He did something in this moment that should speak crazy loud to you and me. He walked right through the crowd and went on. I think there's a lot of churches out there that Jesus may show up to touch some people's lives on a Sunday, but He hears the conversations happening. He sees the people and the way they've treated others in community that week, looks at this directive, this mission for the church, and walks right through the crowd at that church and goes looks for those who are really loving people genuinely. And people came to that church looking for Jesus, and they found people ready to throw them off a cliff. And they're hurt for a long time, and the community is full of those who've been hurt for a long stinking time because they experienced a moment like Jesus is encountering right here. Jesus went on, as we'll discover as we read throughout Luke, He went on to go love those who are far from God. He went on to go out and do ministry. He went on to do exactly what this prophecy in Isaiah said. He went on to go bring good news to the poor and proclaim freedom to those imprisoned, imprisoned by their habits, imprisoned by their past. He went on to give literal sight to the blind, but as well help those see that were spiritually blind. He went on to go out and release those who were oppressed by depression and, and, and possession and, and, you know, drugs, and they're oppressed. And he proclaimed God's favor. He says, no, God is for you, not against you. So his words continued to be gracious. He just found in that religious, religious crowd who was trying to keep impurity out that there was no ministry to be done there. It saddens me. Frankly, it really angers me, and I have other words for that that I won't use right now. But people come to church looking for Jesus and don't find Him. That just makes me real sad. I could name the churches. That'd be a bad thing to do, <laughs> right? But listen to this. Philippians 1.15 through 18 says something very wise for us in a moment like this. When we feel kind of, because you might feel the indignation I, I feel, you know, Worship team, you can come up. He says this, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir something up, trouble for me while I'm in chains. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing this. He's in jail while he's writing it. 
And then it says this bit of wisdom that we should never forget in verse 18. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ has preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So while I get angry at some people's experience in church, I realize the beautiful thing is somehow God turns it around and people find Jesus there in the text of the Scripture. Thank you, God. You're way beyond my comprehension of how you do that. But you know what? I want to I want us to hone in. I want us to plug into a group this week. I hope that you've signed up for one. I, I hope that you can dialogue around the mission Jesus unfolds in this text, and you could begin to process it. I, I have the group questions on the back of your handout that we'll talk about at all of our groups this week, but you look at these questions and you begin to process, yeah, man, how should my actions be different knowing this is the mission? Because honestly, although people do find Jesus in those churches, I don't want this to be that church where somebody walks through the door and they fail because we've got a certain aspect of our history and our life that, that we're going to be talked about or unwelcome, and we might just find ourselves on the edge of a cliff. We should be safe. And it bothers me when somebody says, I would come, but I don't know. I know that you love me, and you'll allow me to belong before I behave, and allow God to change my heart and behavior, but I'm nervous for what my kid might experience. And until they know they can come, I'm mad. I'm praying hard that, that just the most genuine loving people come out of open life because we've been exposed to Jesus' mission. So God, I pray right now. I know some people maybe haven't filled out their connection cards yet, but I pray that they'd get those out, look at those responses on the back, and that you would stir them to respond, that they would look at your grace through a different light. Having understood, Jesus encountered the same thing. The church came against him and he was the one coming for them. God, I pray that we would be a place where Jesus could be made plain and we could live out in the community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, on mission for you, loving the poor, visiting those in prison, healing the sick, God, because we just step out and trust that your Spirit's at work through us and not find ourselves in a moment where we're the judge and we're the ones reminding somebody of who they were last night. It's not last night. Your mercies are new every day, and may we get that in our mindset so that when we love, it's unconditional in our city. Let your love go out through us. Let us respond accordingly. Let us memorize even this week this text. Let us put it into our spirit so that we ourselves would live it and call ourselves into check if we're finding ourselves off mission. In Jesus' name I pray.